Welcome, audience. It is Nabrutgers Week, or more likely Nabrutgers Day, uh, when I get this up. I hate you. <laughs> we uh, missed the last two game recaps, and now have to do a game two-in-one recap pod and a game preview pod for a game that is tomorrow and could potentially be the last game of the season. Nebraska at Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey, for what's, it's not explicitly said, but this is pretty much the last place game of the Big Ten. Yep. Um, so, so I realize that schedule-wise, the odds seem stacked against Justin and I to be able to get everything in, in this podcast in a reasonable time. Um, here, here's the upside, folks. None of these games matter. <laughs> So it's going to be real easy. It's going to be easy. You just remember that, and we'll remember that, and everything will be fine. Yes, absolutely. This <laughs> The Purdue win was fun. Like It was <laughs> fun to have a game where we scored more points than our opponent. That was cool. The shine like lasted for a while, but like I don't think anybody really left that game. Oh, I think there were people who did, but I don't think most people left that game with like, okay, now Frost is riding the ship kind of vibe. No, it was like we somehow didn't do the thing we always do. Like, Right. Not that yeah, there were positives, but, you know, it wasn't a statement win at all. No, no. In some ways, to me, it was sweeter than the Penn State win because it felt like we did actually win the Purdue game. Whereas it felt like Penn State just lost. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that was cool. But I think you're right that there weren't enough positives for us to draw forward to feel like like everything was was fixed. Yeah. And the the other troubling thing was, I think we both sat back after that game and said, is this as good as it gets? Is this this team at peak performance? Because that's pretty damn concerning. Yeah, because that was an ugly two-possession win, if there ever was one. Like, right. Had, like, double-digit penalties, I think. Uh, we missed several chances to run away with the game that Purdue was giving us. We could have easily been up 21 to nothing with, like, still half of the first quarter left to go. But as soon as we blew that one chance, we left the door open for Purdue. They took advantage of it, kind of. Like, they hung around for a while. We gave up an 80-yard touchdown pass where two of our defensive backs tackled each other. Like, (laughs) and we still won by two possessions. So. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, An interesting statistic that I saw on Twitter, and I feel very bad. Um, I feel very bad that I'm not going to be able to credit the source, but from what I could remember now that I'm trying to think of it, I should have written it down or taken a screenshot, but if Nebraska doesn't score 40 points against Rutgers, it will be the second time in only 50 years, I mean, in 50 years that we haven't scored 40 points against an opponent in a game all season. Well, I mean, without the non-con FCS school to gang up on, you know, that's that's a bit harder this year. Sure, it's harder, I suppose. But we claim to be a high-powered offense, or at least that's the idea. Are you telling me we shouldn't be able to hang 40 on at least one Big Ten opponent? I mean... We should have reached 40 against Purdue. I'm pretty confident in saying that. On paper, we should have reached 40 against a lot of teams we didn't do anything offensively against. Like, So, yeah, that is a bit concerning, but like, at the same time, it makes sense that it's this year. Like, The conference-only year is the year that the statistical aberrations start to come out where the, oh, they haven't done this since – you know, you only played nine games and all of them were conference except for like two, you know, 
it makes sense that this year's the year where stuff like that would start to come out. Like the cons- the more concerning stuff to me is like, like the more concerning thing to me is everything else basically. Like <laughs> us not scoring forty is the least Jesus. of the problems. Sure, I just thought it was an interesting statistic oh, to be like, look how low performing this offense is. Even though I think. I don't know. Would you say our offense is better than our defense right now? Probably. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, you don't think so? No. Uh, transition time. It's the Minnesota game. Uh, our offense. Oh, <laughs> our offense only scored like seventeen points that entire game. I think. That's true. And our defense showed up big against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And this is an offense that was playing against a Minnesota team that had four defensive linemen active for the game. And we, and we didn't have, like, the wherewithal to try to run up the middle against that. That's insane to me. That whole debacle. How do you lose to a Minnesota team that is admittedly having an off year, didn't return hardly any seniors, I mean, you didn't return, obviously didn't return any seniors, but had a bunch of super good seniors graduate, right? Opt out. Right. And then 33 of their players were COVID ineligible. Let, let me provide some more context to that stat. As somebody who did a lot of game prep for this game, a lot of research about the Minnesota team, trying to figure out which players would and wouldn't play. Only about, like, this isn't good, but it's, like, a bit less bad than the 33 stat makes it seem. Only about six players who got any playing time whatsoever were out. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because when I did my two deep game charts, there were only a handful of them who, like, I didn't see at all on Saturday. So. I got you. I think the 33, it looks bad. It is bad. But, like, it's not their top 33 players were all out. It's just 33 players who were on the roster with only a fraction of them actually getting any playing time were out. But, like I said earlier, they only had four active defensive linemen. So, and they were starting two offensive linemen who had never had action in the season before. Here's, Here's the other thing that's concerning to me. Imagine being on a college football team where 33 of your players have COVID cases. Chaos. Chaos. Panic. Everyone is walking around the facility, as much as I'm sure they're trying not to, as much as I'm sure that everyone was doing their absolute best to be professional, it is impossible to be in that situation and not constantly feel like your hair is on fire. All the time. And yet that Minnesota team still still walked into that game with more focus and more poise than we did. Even though we, sure. Is it a weird week? Yes. Did we say privately, because we didn't have a pod, that if you were going to write off a week, this one would be one where it would be like easier to do that? Yeah. But theoretically, a bowl game, a weird year's bowl game, but a bowl game was on the line. And we just didn't show up especially offensively we did not just we just didn't show up yeah i got serious illinois flashbacks when on the first playoff game we screwed up a swing pass again we threw the ball backwards it was a fumble we got on top of it this time so i'm like well maybe this could be a little bit different than the illinois game and it was and the fact that we didn't get blown out we just lost to a really bad team and looked uncompetitive the whole way through. It wasn't a blowout. It was just a game that we never had a chance in as soon as the second half started. I think it's so interesting. I mean, last year, we were a bad team, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I and all of my friends – wouldn't have missed a second of playtime, right? Like, as soon as the game was on, we wanted to watch it. 
because we were invested. We cared. We really gave it about that football team. Even though they sucked, even though they hurt us. I'm going to be totally honest. Um, I missed the better part of the first half. Did I couldn't see the second quarter because that, that was the fun one. I saw the end of the second quarter. Oh, God, when it became not fun. Yep. Because I said to myself, listen, I'm going to roll up at what I think is going to be about halftime. I ended up being a little earlier than that. Because if we're still in the game at halftime, I'll know I should care. If not, it's a Saturday I get to spend some time with my friends. Folks, I had a better weekend because I didn't watch every snap. Right? I watched every snap of other games, both college and NFL that weekend. Watched a lot of GD football. But this team is not enjoyable for fans to watch. And if, if you, dear listener, are not watching every snap, I applaud you. Because at a certain point, this sucks to do this to yourself every weekend. You know, I do my best to be somewhat well-researched. I read a bunch of recaps. You know, I, I, I do my best to, like, still be able to say something interesting and, and useful on the pod. But the, the, not to be overdramatic, the joy of Husker football is kind of slipping this year for me. And I think it needs to turn around quick before I become the kind of Husker fan who, frankly, you know, plans to move away from Nebraska anyway and is like, I've got a Husker pennant on my desk. That's the extent of my Husker fandom. Un- until we're a 9-3 and three team again. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be here for the turnaround. I want to put in the work. But I think I, I really care about Husker football and watching it suck and watching it seem like it's not going to get better. That's no fun. And I have a finite amount of time on my weekends. Spending the better part of four hours on a team that is actively making me enjoy the sport less. Whoo. You know what I mean? I don't know. Justin's been nodding, but he also looks disappointed in me. (laughs) Well, now your weekend will be open because we play on Friday this week, but (laughs) I'm so happy. I love that. But the other thing is it's going to ruin my weekend on a Friday night. And I also could have used another day to recover from the disappointment of the Minnesota game. Yes. God. That Minnesota game. Like, I, like I'm, I'm with you there. I can't go into too much detail about what I was feeling because it will seem unprofessional to have those feelings in a broadcast booth while you're on air. So I will leave that at that. But. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I hammed up the fan reaction this week. Yes. One of us wasn't a fan. No, I was very impartial throughout the entire broadcast. And I'm not even joking about that. I'm proud of myself. But um Dude, I listened to you for the better part of the third quarter, man. Like yeah. you guys did a good job of not losing you, which I would not have done. Because there's a reason I'm in news and not sports. <laughs> like, I would have absolutely lost it. That third quarter was bad. The offense didn't know what to do with itself. Had like two straight three and outs where as soon as the ball was snapped, like the entire team just looks lost out there. Like on on the touchdown drives in the second quarter, looked like there was a clear game plan that was being executed. And even on the plays where, yeah, you can see how this play would have worked in that situation. The execution is just so bad. It doesn't even look like that play should have been called. And the offense will just jog off the field and do the same thing again the next time. And the defense, for the most part, was holding until, like, not the defensive holding, but, like, holding the Minnesota offense away enough to keep Nebraska in the game. If we could just get a touchdown anywhere, 
and God it just it. didn't happen. Damn it. Uh, here's, here's a question for you, Justin. Yeah. How much of this is that this team just thinks its mojo is puffed? Who? I, I don't know. Like, or is it apathy on the part of the players? Like, I am, and I think we'll get here naturally. I'm looking for anywhere to put the blame but coaching. Um, gosh. Is there anywhere that's not coaching to blame? Um, Top 25 recruiting classes consistently. Thereabouts. There's there's the old reliable uh, Adrian Martinez was hurting excuse that the Husker fans... I don't buy it. I don't buy that he has been mildly injured for four years straight. And even if I do... I think that good coaches would say we should be able to find someone better than this or we should be able to train him to play through the pain better than this. But, man, it looked like he was turning a corner these past two games. Dude, yeah, didn't it? In Iowa, he had eight incompletions between those two games. He had more than that against Minnesota. In the Iowa game. He was one of the few bright spots coming out of the Iowa game. Yes, like Husker fans, we were like saying this is the return of freshman Adrian. Side note, this is about coaching, but how sad is it that in his junior year, we still want freshman him. He hasn't evolved since then. He's regressed to the point where what he was when he came here was the best we've seen of him until the past two weeks. Which I'll remind you, is a quarterback who couldn't read the field, who coaches said, listen, we give him one passing option and then tell him to tuck and run. Everything else is a decoy. But he was reading the field against Purdue because our offensive line gave him so much time. Or he had no other choice but to read the field. Yeah. And then True. Minnesota comes. He goes out for one drive with an injury. And then just as soon as he comes back out, he can't hit a receiver. He can't go through his progressions the same. The offensive line was fine, I guess, but, like, it wasn't as good as Purdue, and Purdue had a fully healthy defensive line. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Justin, if I, in Madden Longshot, can learn how to build a rhythm on a passing drive, like, I shudder to think what Adrian Martinez's two-minute drills look like in a practice. The discombobulation that must be happening is just depressing. The guy can't hit a receiver on the sideline in the last two minutes of a half to save his fucking mother's life. Oh, my God. He overthrew two sure-thing touchdowns, one of which would have probably completely flipped the momentum of the game going into halftime, where Oliver Martin runs possibly the best route I've seen a Husker run all season and frees himself up. Nobody between him and the end zone. All Adrian needs to do is put the ball to a place where he can catch it while running forward without losing any momentum. And he has an open field to the end zone. Right. It's not an easy throw, but it's a throw that quarterbacks make. Right. To, To be clear, neither Justin and I are saying that we are good quarterbacks. Obviously not. We're the ones sitting here talking about quarterbacks instead of being them, right? We, we certainly don't want to be, and I don't want to speak for Justin, but I think I can speak for Justin here. We certainly don't want to be those guys who say, this is easy. It's not easy. No. But when you're no. at a Division I university with a storied football history, you've been recruited and touted as something greater than this, and you're not delivering, I think it's the right of people who talk about it to say, hey, this, this fella is not delivering. And I, I, I wouldn't say either of us wouldn't love to see Adrian Martinez succeed. Obviously, we would, right? The beauty of this podcast is we're not super objective. We sit here for, you know, however long every week and we're Husker fans. Um, 
But I think, you know, should you sit there and be thinking, who are these guys to say this? Well, I encourage you to look at many, many, many other Division I programs and say to yourself, is there one of these guys I really wouldn't rather have in a Power 5 conference? And you might find a couple, but you're not going to find many that you wouldn't rather have. And what's frustrating is it's enough to make me miss the guy we're going to play this weekend. I was just about to get to that. When you put Noah Vedral on a field, you know what you're going to get. A couple decent drives and many, many three and outs. And I miss the consistency. <laughs> oh, God. I was about to bring that up because that – I think that's the main reason beyond, hey, these two teams suck, let's have them play, uh, that the Big Ten is using for this game is Nebraska Rutgers has that intrigue with Noah Bedrill facing his former coach. And just how perfect would it be to explain the downfalls of the Scott Frost coaching era, to have his former quarterback not one year, not even one full season after he leaves the Nebraska football program, be more developed than the two years he was at Nebraska. This feels like a must win for, for the coaching staff's reputation in the state. Because as Justin just outlined, A loss here is unthinkable. A loss here says that at the lowest tier of university in the conference, a university that really doesn't give a rat's about its football team, so much as you can have a Big Ten football team and not care about it, that's Rutgers. Maybe Maryland, right? Maybe. And a loss here says that even at a university that really is phoning it in, a player who used to be your player has developed to a point that he can beat you with a team, a recruiting class that is undoubtedly less talented than yours. And not to mention that he left our program because we thought that he was the third best quarterback on our roster heading into the season and likely weren't going to give him much playing time. So if he outperforms R1 and R2 on Saturday, which not Saturday, Friday, which could potentially not even happen because we're not so sure of Noah Vigil's injury status for the game. He kind of got his ankle scuffed up a bit last week. So this could all be a point for nothing, but He hasn't been ruled out either. So if he does play, and he does look like he has looked all season, which, like you said, occasional flashes of good, of like good solid drives, but mostly consistent three and outs, the occasional dumb interception, not very good at running, and he still looks more developed than what we've got, than what we said was going to develop into something better than him that we said to not sweat Noah Vedral leaving because we had these two quarterbacks who could potentially offer us more than that. And to see a quarterback who just offers us that, and that's all he's ever going to offer, outperform the two that we had in front of him, that would be terrible, at, to, to say the least, regardless of like every other position on the floor. That would just show that this program does not develop talent well, more so than the obvious signs that's likely already the case. Mm -hmm. I will say, there's one thing I find pretty encouraging here, Dustin, and that is Noah Vedral's last stat line in a Husker jersey. Are you ready for this? Go for it. Three minutes played, zero field goals made, zero three-points made, zero free throws made, zero rebounds, assists, or blocks and steals, and zero points. That 
last stat line in a Husker jersey from earlier in 2020, ladies and gentlemen. And we should have known. We should have known at that moment when Noah Vendrell came out as a guard for the Nebraska basketball team, that 2020, not only for the world, but also for Nebraska athletics, was going to be the most jacked up year ever. Good Lord. I, I believe he was playing against Rutgers that day, so. I know. I know. I was saving that for the kicker. But it was taking me a minute to just fully fully let the weight of the irony sink in for me so I could convey it to the listener. Speaking of the kicker, Connor Culp, first team all Big Ten kicker. Wait, seriously? Yup. Ours? Yeah. Really? Yup. The Big Ten needs better kickers. What was his longest this year? Forget his longest. He's made more than twice as many as the second guy on the list. Is this just saying we give up and kick more? Yes, he's our offense, Nick. God damn it. Did we have any other offensive players make make any of the three Big Ten, all no. Big Ten teams? No. Yep. No. Because we had, didn't, was it Decap that got second? Uh. It was Cam Taylor-Britt who... Cam Taylor-Britt, that's it. I don't anticipate sticking around much longer. I, I see NFL potential in that guy. Just Do you really? Raw athleticism, I think. More so than anybody else on the roster, he's got it. Like, you saw what, against Purdue. Like, he locked down, like, like, two future NFL draft picks. And he locked them down pretty good. The only time he did it was when Mark Smook tackled him. Away mm-hmm. from the play. And what, um... What year is he? He is a junior, so he could have, so he could potentially leave after this year if he wanted to, or he could come back next year and play his junior year again. But I don't know. I think he's. Do you got think he's going to declare for this draft? Yeah, I. Yeah, because because it was senior day on uh on Saturday against Minnesota. So even though technically all these guys have another year if they so want it. That our senior class is free to go, so is the junior class. But like I said, outside of Cam Taylor, Brett, there's nobody who I think has like the raw chops now to make it in the league. And like second team, all Big Ten, that'll look good on a draft resume for sure. That's that's. I mean, what do you think he'd go in? Oh, mid, he's fifth, mid, sixth uh, round. Yeah, mid mid to low, like mid to high round pick. But that's still getting money. like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge payday. That's pr- probably, what, at least a million a year? Yeah. It's insane. Outside of that, I guess we'll look forward to next year. Yeah, I guess it's too early to say who's staying and who's going. But we, we do have official word from a doctor that uh, Colin, Colin Miller will likely never play football again. So, Holy, really? Yeah, it, that's it, tragic. Yeah. So they—he was the uh, guy who got injured earlier this year against Illinois. Yep, doctor says it would be in his best interest to quit. Well, to be fair, it's probably in every person's best interest to quit the game of football and run away with run away for a bit, like it's you know a car on fire. Yeah, but even more so for Colin Miller now. And even more so, the doctor in Nebraska would tell the leading tackler of the Nebraska football team that, no, I'm not. I'm... <laughs> what are you saying, sir? What are you taking Nebraska medicine for? Especially when it comes to football. With all due respect to the people in the medical profession in Nebraska, I'm just saying it, it, it takes a really strong doctor to tell the leading tackler of the Nebraska football team to never play again. <laughs> Okay, yes, that's true. That that takes a lot. That's not a popular move. No. One more thing, one more point I had about the Minnesota game. Uh, if you look on the just pure box score, didn't actually watch the game, you would think, hey, Nebraska lost, but we at least cleaned up our act on penalties. We only had like three penalties the whole game. 
but two of those came at the worst possible time. Yep. Right before the end of the half where Minnesota's Tanner Morgan takes off on a quarterback scramble on third and 14. And Cam Taylor-Britt, as just raw of a talent this guy is, as excellent as he has been in coverage at points this season, made one of the most boneheaded plays I've seen from a Nebraska defender all year and just launches himself at Tanner Morgan, who is not a running quarterback, who would not have gotten that first down if Cam Taylor-Britt just ran to the sideline. We w- somebody would have gotten there. He likely would have slid, and they would have kicked a field goal or gone for it on fourth and short. But he instead hands them a free 15 yards and gets himself ejected off by going for the big hit, just leaving his feet and just yeeting himself towards Tanner Morgan. Just, like, try to wrap the guy up or lean with your, like, shoulder or something to, like, try to Mm -hmm. knock him down. There's a whole list of things you should have done before you did that, but he did that, and that set up Minnesota nicely with the first and goal, and they go from likely, like, they were down four, so a field goal would have put them down one going into the half, to now up three. And the entire momentum changed, especially after Adrian missed Oliver Martin. I think that's his name. Uh, on the wide open route towards the end of the half. And then, late game, like four minutes to go. It's a two-possession game, 10-point game. So you need a touchdown and a field goal in some order, but preferably the touchdown first since you're just knocking on the door of the goal line. Adrian runs in. He gets the touchdown. But a holding call, unnecessary and away from the play, gets it called back, and we waste two more minutes and get a field goal and never see a ball again. So while we only had three penalties all all game, we had two of penalties that were worse than, I think, almost anything we had against Purdue. Right. And it's it's concerning because I think – it shows that even when you can clean up the number line, our discipline problem doesn't go away, right? Nebraska doesn't have a penalties problem to me. Nebraska has a game discipline problem to me. Yes, because we took 10 points off the board and we lost by, like, 10. Yep. That's the game right there. Yep. Not to mention clock control, which makes me say we almost have to be two scores ahead like we were against Purdue. To have a prayer at finishing games. Um, the other thing I'm interested in, and I've just been doing a bunch of reading about it this week, is there are some folks who are going to call it like the middle four. Some folks are going to call it the middle eight. But those eight to four minutes that are either side of both halves, right? You've got either the last two minutes or four minutes of the first half and the first two minutes to four minutes of the second half. I'm not a stats nerd. I could never claim to hold that high and lofty title. But stats nerds tell me and tell all of us that those are the most important minutes of a football game. And if you want to win, you at least, you know, statistically, you at least have to come out even. And you'd really like to come out ahead. In those, in those, you know, four to eight minutes. I would be fascinated to see Husker football's stats on that this year. Because I bet it's gnarly. You know, I just think that that is probably truly a telltale sign of like, you, you both have to start well when you're getting the ball. Make big stops. Manage the clock. Like... All of the things that I'm getting frustrated with, we can't put quick, good drives together. We can't manage the clock. We can't seem to make big stops when we absolutely have to. All of those things boil down to those minutes. And again, smart, nerdy people tell me those minutes matter the most. You know? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just like, as I was reading that this week, I was like, Damn, we've got to be, like, the worst at that. <laughs> yeah, the, like, but for some reason, I don't think this showed up against Minnesota, but, like, every other game this year it has. The first drive, 
out of the second half is always the best we look offensively in that half. That's so, true. I don't know. That is true. I don't know what that means in that, but I think it's worth noting. All right, man. What else is there to say about this god-awful football team? Not much other than we might have another game after Rutgers, even if we don't make it to a bowl, because the NCAA has just allowed teams that had one, at least one game canceled this year to schedule sort of their own bowl game against any team they want before December 31st. Seriously? Yep. Oh, we're going to do that. Oh, absolutely. Not only because, you know, we want, wanted to play more so than almost any team this year. So no matter how much we suck, Scott Frost is going to find a game to play. Chattanooga, what you doing? Come on up. But uh, <laughs> we need that extra practice. Like as, as much as good a week of practice gets memed about here, that's, that's like the main reason that you would want a bowl game is so they, they get those bowl game weeks of practice. So just find some poor team to play. Whoever wants a free win or whoever we think is a free win, put them on a schedule before the end of the year and get those practices in for next year. That's what I, that's what I think we should do, but I don't know. There's no way we don't play. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. There's a world in which we have everybody who's leaving opt out because it doesn't matter. Yes. Or And there's a world Oh. You, you maybe think they haven't said anything about this and like this is coming from like the NCAA, so there's a chance jurisdiction might not really apply, but you think the Big 10 wants their teams to do this? schedule a non, non-conference game, even though it's the last game of the season, even though some teams will already be doing this in bowl games. Like, that just the, doesn't... The Big Ten doesn't care. It's the end of the year. There's going to be probably slightly heightened chance for COVID spread. But what if the Big Ten just says, we have to approve the team you want to play, Right. That's that's the middle way. Now, do I trust Kevin Warren to find the middle way here? No. But that's the that's the only logical thing to do if you're concerned about that. Because telling teams we don't want you to play this game, that's not just going to piss us off. Sure, it'll piss us off the most. But you have nothing to lose pissing us off. What you have to lose is who else would like to play this game? Probably in Illinois. Right? They're under four wins. Probably a Rutgers. Definitely a Penn State. All of these teams want to play a football game. So, let them schedule one. Be jerks about who they schedule. Fine. You know, make us schedule Alabama as a warm-up game on their way to the damn playoff. You know... Make us schedule the best sub-four-win team in the country. Fine. But here's the other thing. What if they say, okay, you guys can play another game, just play each other? I could see that happening, too. And I wouldn't be mad at that at all. Like, you know what? If Michigan State needs a game and wants a game, yeah, that that wouldn't make me mad in the slightest if – it, it would annoy me because I'm mad at the Big Ten. But I would see why they would want to do it. I would see why it works better for them. And if they're so convinced that, like, their testing protocols matter so much and they're so worried about the spread, the spread of COVID as, at the last game of the year. My only thing is that if it haps, has to happen before December 31st, people still have time to go home and visit their families over the holidays. Mm-hmm. So then you maybe get spread and then players spreading it to families. Yeah. But, like, that seems fairly remote. If everyone gets tested after the game, right? Like, that would be, as a university, I would say, let's play this game. If our players are willing to, you know, test, wait till three days after the game when the virus is going to present and then test and then go home, cool. But also, I think 
these guys expect to sign off the better parts of their Christmases and New Year's to play football, right? Yeah, because ideally they'd be doing bowl game prep around that time anyways, like right. even in a normal year. Right. Well, that's that. Yeah. So keep your eyes open because this might not be our last game. Then the Close them. Game. Close them and cry. That's my advice. I, do you have anything this week? Because my first other block idea was that I have some very strong words for the college football playoff committee. So, but I feel like, oh. that, I feel like that first thing was just us ranting back and forth. And I don't know if following that up with another rant's the best idea, like flow wise. So do we have something we can just discuss? I, I have some things in very early development. I, I don't really want to rush them. At some point, I want to do a whole, possibly a whole podcast on BattleBots as a bonus podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Oh, I am so down. Yeah, right? My roommate Bennett introduced me to it, and holy, it's not really a sport, but it's enough of a sport, and just, it's lame in all the right ways and cool in all the right ways to just, like, tickle my funny bone. And Bennett, like, sits there and is very serious about it. And I just laugh my rear end off the entire time because it is these super nerdy dudes taking these super small robots super seriously. And, like, what they're technologically doing, impressive. Something I could not do. Hell, I would struggle to, like, wire a light switch for you. But, like, the seriousness that these people take it with and the fact that a former MMA fighter is the color commentator is the icing. Because they're just like, I have no idea who to put here. So we, we will absolutely talk about BattleBots on a future episode. Um, I like the sound of your college football playoff rant. I think there's a way to make this fun. Who doesn't love hating on the NCAA? Yes. And it's not, it's not the NCAA who's the problem this time. <laughs> this, you be careful, you sons of you. You're still you're off the hook. list. You're not off the hook just yet. I, I, I see what's going on in college basketball right now. and it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's the other thing. Liverpool's top of the league right now, and I could just gloat for half an hour. Let's start the rant. Okay. <laughs> Let me be happy, you son of a gun. The college football playoff committee's recent <laughs> rankings are like, in my opinion, the worst they've ever been. Ooh. Okay. And they send a clear message specifically to the group of five that you will never make it to the playoff. Because, let me pull up these rankings right now so I don't mess the numbers up. But, like, they obviously did this on purpose. But, like, they knew just how much this would hurt to have it like this for the group of five. They, they knew how ridiculous they would think it looked. And they'd be like, yeah, that's the point. The highest-ranked group of five team is ninth. Cincinnati at 8-0 is what three two loss teams behind Georgia behind Florida behind Iowa State Iowa and State. A&M A&M is the only one I can kind of see their one loss was on the road against Alabama they've looked very impressive against the SEC teams they've played otherwise if you had Cincinnati at six and A&M at five I would disagree but I would at least understand. Let's, let's, let's talk about these teams ahead of Cincinnati right now. Let's talk about Georgia. They lost to Florida. Not even close. And yet the committee thinks they're only one spot worse than them. Let's talk about Florida, who, at this point in the season, just the way their state's allowing things and the way the university's allowing things, has probably the biggest home field advantage in the country is far as the people they're putting in the stands and lost last week at home to a three and five team because one of their defensive backs decided it would be a fun idea to yeet an LSU player's cleats <laughs> down the field and put them in field goal range. 
my favorite thing is that the most dramatic moment in um uh recent SEC history until this had been the kick six and now we have the cleat eat. <laughs> Best thing ever. Thank you, R slash CFB, patron saint of this podcast. The kick six, the cleat yeet, and the old piss. The holy trinity. Oh my god, the old piss. Yes. God, an unholy trinity, really. <laughs> Although the kick six is beautiful and I hate like putting it next to these stupid things. They're all beautiful. I love so many <laughs> things about the cleat yeet and like less about old piss, but like Yeah. Is so perfect because did you see how the referee called that penalty? He's like, personal <laughs> defense number three, throwing an opponent's cleat twenty yards down the field. Like if it were five, it wouldn't be a problem. But because <laughs> but it was twenty yards. Like he just had to illustrate how stupid it was. <laughs> oh my god! And the playoff yeah. committee dropped them one spot in the rankings for that. For losing at home to a three and five team when you have the best home field advantage in the sport right now because your player threw a cleat 20 yards down the field. That's, that's what the playoff committee thinks passes as a more impressive team than 8 0 Cincinnati. And then, that's not even my biggest issue. Number six, Iowa State, 8 and 2. This is a team that lost. To Louisiana Lafayette. What? Who, who, who is a team that Coastal Carolina beat? And yet, Coastal Carolina's only number 12 and Iowa State's number 6, even though Iowa State has a transitive property loss to Coastal Carolina and another loss already on the resume, and yet they have a path to the playoff and Coastal Carolina doesn't, despite having the literal most wins in the sport. 11 and 0 with a transitive property win over Iowa State. And it's not like their schedule, like, yeah, it's not a power five schedule, but they have two ranked wins on that schedule as well. They have a win over number 19, LA Lafayette, and they have a win over number 16, BYU. And yet, that's what's insane to me is I would rank Coastal Carolina above Cincinnati. Yes. I I would put them five, Cincinnati six, AM seventh. Without a doubt. Out a doubt. What? Is, this, is there any way to read this other than an intentional fuck you? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely Damn. Not. You're usually the more measured one. This is insane. Like, I was, I was a little annoyed about this. But to hear it from a guy who, like, you know, I will always be the first to admit Justin knows more about you know, Justin is an actual sports writer, kids. Like, I, I just watch some sports sometimes and was friends with Justin, and that's how I got on the pod. To see a guy, you know, who really knows this worked up about this is radicalizing me. Like, do you think that – I remember that there was media outcry, right? I have a Twitter. This was hard to miss. Um, I was focused on other stuff. Does that matter? Does the fact that the media was really mad at the selection committee matter? Absolutely not. The selection committee knows what it's doing. It absolutely does. It will, it will do it again. Like, watch Iowa State make the playoff, because uh, there's a very real, real road for them if they beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Wait. Clemson loses to Notre Dame again. That frees up a playoff spot, and you're either going to jump into that spot the committee is saying it's either going to be a an A and M team who didn't play a conference championship game or wasn't in conference championship week, but they're either going to make it just by sheer being there ish, or they're going to jump in Iowa State into it. There's no path I see for Cincinnati or Coastal because if Iowa State loses, then Oklahoma makes it, or if Florida somehow pulls off the upset against Bama. Two lost Florida makes it, and Alabama likely still makes it. So, okay, a couple of questions on the, on the kind of, like, how this moves forward for, for group of five schools. Does this expedite outcry for an 18 playoff? It should. I think it does. I, I hope it does, and I think it really will if 
Okay. Powers that be in the bowl games, whatever you do, do not schedule Cincinnati versus Coastal Carolina in a bowl game. As fun as that bowl game would be, that would be insulting. You've, you've done that once before with Boise State and TCU. So uh, bowl game committees, let these two teams have a chance to prove themselves against the Florida, against the Georgia, against an Oklahoma, some Power 5 team that you've deemed as respectable but just didn't make the playoff. What if they get trounced? Then my point becomes moot. But if they don't, if, if they win those games. Or even if they keep them close. No, you have to win. Claim, 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 claim a title. Claim the title. Claim it. Do the UCF. No, I hate yes. that. Uh, no, 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 no. That makes you look so much more like a whiner. We're Nebraska fans. That's how we got a season. That's how you change is you whine. You be so annoying, they can't ignore you anymore. That's how you get you, you, you can't just go undefeated and get locked out of the playoff and then just, like, say, well, that's just the way it is. That's what they want you to do. you got to <laughs> make a scene about it. If you go undefeated, you win all your games, you beat a respectable Power 5 team in a bowl game, Claim that as a title. That's the only way I see this going to an expansion playoff in the future. In, unless they, they might actually want to do it anyways because of extra games with more TV dollars. But this would ensure the G5 gets represented in that playoff and actually gets a shot is because if you don't do it, they're going to be so damn annoying if they win their bowl game. So Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, and if your conference had started earlier, I would be willing to throw you a bone 6-0 San Jose State, but I just have not seen enough to get attached to you yet. Claim it. Here's the thing. College football fans across the country love these teams. Love these teams. I am disappointed that we didn't get to become one of Cincinnati's wins this year. Right? Like, it pains me to have to say this but what I find if there's not an eight team playoff what I find more likely than these teams deciding to continue to work within these confines is that they set up a separate national championship I I don't see that happening I don't see a a straight up P5 and G5 split happening because how much attention does the average college football fan pay to FCS football? Not that much. But maybe G5 more. would be I mean G5 would be better football. It would be better football, but I don't think it would work out in their favor having their own league. G5 teams become sweethearts in the eyes of college football fans when they beat established college football name brands. Coastal Carolina did this. They gained respect by beating BYU, who they're not a Power Five team technically since they're an independent. But football fans know who they are. They've BYU is a high caliber team, and this year was a very good team. Yes, absolutely. Is this? It it seems like it's been a particularly good year for G five teams and independents. Yes. Why? I think a part of that might be, and probably is, just the rise of the conference-only schedule where, like, these teams won't have to play teams from other conferences, like, Power 5 conferences included. Like, Cincinnati would have probably ran the table regardless because, you know, Nebraska wasn't going to do anything. Same thing with Coastal, who, if they're 11-0 now, you know, that's, like, basically a full season already. I think both of them would have been undefeated anyway. But I think just the lack of a non-conference schedule has helped the G5 get these undefeated teams into the mm-hmm. main. And, not to, and Coastal Carolina works because, A, they're a really fun team, and B, because they, like 11-0, they always find a way to play. The Sun Belt has right. them to schedule a replacement game as soon as a game gets canceled because of COVID. 
And the fact that they haven't been ducking with those. The fact that they scheduled the Mormons versus Mullets game, which Mm -hmm. I honestly think should go down in history as the most COVID football game that ever happened. Absolutely. Barring barring anything wild happening in the postseason this year, that was a magical moment. My friend Dustin and I rewatched that last night for fun. It was like on ESPNU, and we were like, what the hell? Yeah. It was magical. I the t-shirts, the vibe, the actual game itself was really good. The fact that it came like what was it like three yards from ending differently? Two. What's that? Two? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that was a fun game. Oh, it was. So we stand small teams. We want an eight-team playoff. It's also the only way Nebraska makes a playoff in our lifetimes. Yep. And also, uh, go Northwestern. Oh, yeah. Go Northwestern. What if Ohio State loses? Does no one from the Big Ten go to the – Nobody goes to the playoff from the Big Ten. A&M will practically have clinched a berth then, and then – the remaining spot is either Big 12 champion or ACC title game loser. So I'm going to say ACC title game loser probably deserves to go more than the Big 12 champion this year, but none of them deserve so much to go as Coastal Carolina. Absolutely. The most wins in the country. Ohio State doesn't even have half the wins they do. Okay, let's expand this playoff to eight and just decide not to be to group of five teams. Yes. Let's let's game this out. Yes. In an eight-team playoff, who deserves to be in this year, according to Nick and Justin? I I think we ba- we we decided this last week, or not last week, last episode, however long ago that was. But yeah, has it has it changed since then? I don't think so. I think you both Notre Dame and Clemson likely make it unless Clemson just gets absolutely trounced by Notre Dame, which I don't think will happen. But like, yeah, Clemson, Notre Dame, Bama, Ohio State, you keep the top four. I'd say you keep the top five even. Six is for the big, no, wait, no, big 12 champion, buzz off. If we're taking Ohio State at six and oh, we'll take USC at six and oh, then seven and eight will be Coastal and uh, Cincy. There you go. No, wait. Oh, I don't like taking USC at 6-0, though. What? Why not? Like, if you're taking Ohio State at 6-0, you have to take USC at 6-0. No, you don't. It's the Pac-12. You don't have to give them sh- Is Ohio State's schedule that much more impressive than USC's? No, but it's the Pac-12. I don't know. There's a, there's a negative X factor of being the Pac-12 that makes me say, you know what? You don't matter. You're the Pac-12. You're an academics conference. I don't know. Am I being unfair? I just think that, like, you're right that Ohio State is not that much more impressive on on a total strength of schedule argument. Are you going to tell me that if you put Ohio State against USC next week, they wouldn't totally obliterate them? Well, these games aren't played on paper. Like, that's oh the Oh, my entire, God. That's the entire But the decisions are made on paper. That's the entire point of like the exclusion of the group of five is well if you put Cincinnati against AM, if you put them against Ohio State, who would Vegas have as the favorite? Like stuff like that, just just pure mind games of who you think is better is the whole reason we're in this mess. I suppose. And so you're saying we should go perfectly by the by the by the record. I'd say, like, yeah, you use eye test as a tiebreaker, but the strongest resumes should make the playoff. There should be some reward for the objective things you do on the field. Here's, here's something I found interesting. So, this week, someone was out there making the argument that it would be more fair to group of five schools to use the BCS. Yeah, uh, I want to say a group of five coach said that even. That seems both to me. Yeah, the BCS was very, very flawed because it had human rankings as part of the system and because the computer formula was dumb. It helped us, right? It, didn't it take a two-loss Nebraska to a title game? 
Uh, it took, I, I want to say, yeah, it did back in 2001, where right. the Miami Hurricanes, who had a top three team in college football history, no matter, I think, how you slice it, just wiped the floor with a Nebraska team that didn't even win our division that year, which right. we, I think we both agree. I think people who saw that game agree Nebraska shouldn't have been there. Yep. So. Even though we had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only the Nebraska Huskers, but all of college football is frustrating. Is there anything else for it to say? No, that's, that's what I had to say about that.